Hi, and welcome to Cause Pods. I'm your host, Matthew Passy. Here on the podcast, we have one simple mission to highlight the amazing folks who are using podcasts as a way to raise awareness for good causes, whether it's a nonprofit they work with, a charity they support, a social justice campaign they're championing, a medical condition they're battling, or someone who is just looking to make a positive impact on their local community, their state, the country, or the world. These are podcasters with a positive mission. Along with raising awareness for our guest's favorite cause, we're also going to see if we can raise some money to support their efforts. So make sure you check out the show notes for each episode at causepods.org to learn more about what they're doing and how to help them achieve their goals. Joining me today on the podcast, we are taking the show all the way to Minnesota and chatting with Al Levin. He is the creator and the host of the Depression Files podcast. You can find more about it at thedepressionfiles.com. And of course, we will link to that in the show notes. And this is all about mental illness, depression, and more specifically, the focus on male depression, which is something that is definitely overlooked Definitely not talked about enough, and so excited to get Al on here to talk about why this is his passion project and how we can all do a little bit better. Al, thank you so much for joining us here on Cause Pods today. Yeah, thank you for having me. And we are excited to have you. So, I mean, the obvious question right off the bat is, why is male depression a passion project for you? What led to you wanting to make a podcast about this? I have had my own uh, bouts of depression. I've been through two major bouts of depression that were quite serious. The second major bout actually got me to a point of being suicidal and having to take work off. I'm an assistant principal in St. Paul Public Schools. I had to take work off. In the end, it ended up being about three weeks, no, four weeks off of work. And I checked myself into a partial hospitalization program for three weeks to give me a little kickstart to my recovery. Once I recovered, probably a couple of years out after my second bout of major depression, I decided to share my story. And uh, that's really what got me started. And it started with a blog. And I realized not a lot of people would be able to find my blog. I couldn't even Google and find it myself. So I started a Twitter account and I started tweeting really just to drive people to my blog. And then I started getting recognized a bit in the mental health community, was invited on some conferences and walked away from one with an idea of wanting to create a podcast. Somebody connected me with Paul Gilmartin, who is the host and founder of Mental Illness Happy Hour. And he was awesome, gave me a bunch of suggestions, and I just rolled with it. I want to first say that I'm sorry you had to go through what you went through. I am glad, though, that you were sitting here with us and able to come back out on the other side and share your experience and hopefully empower others in a positive way. My question about depression, and in particular male depression, is I think a lot of men struggle with, you know, life can be difficult for a lot of different reasons. There's a lot of stress in life, whether it's work, family, kids, just the way you feel about yourself, whatever that might be. And for a lot of us, I think it can feel like it's overwhelming, but it happens slowly. And we don't sort of realize that we're progressing down a deeper, deeper hole into an unhealthy place. And I wonder if having gone through this and come out on the other side, if there are certain 
warning signs or if there's advice that you can give men to say, it's one thing to just say, ah, I'm feeling stressed. I'm feeling sad. It's another thing to say, I think you need to go talk to someone sooner rather than later. Yeah. Great question. I think noticing differences and changes, whether it may be physical. I mean, if you start getting headaches or stomach aches and there's no real reason behind it, if you particularly start seeing behavioral changes such as beginning to isolate, you recognize you're making excuses to your friends rather than going and hanging out with them. If you're isolating in your office, if you are experiencing just some really deep, sad emotions. But I do want to point out that depression doesn't always just equate to sadness. That's just a misconception. And depression can be so much more challenging than just a deep sadness. In fact, I'd typically describe it as a numbness. I mean, like zero feelings. But I think those are men often end up with a temper. You know, if you notice you have a short fuse all of a sudden, start asking questions. And I think you're right. Men don't often talk about it. Men don't often talk about their feelings. Men bottle it up. Men believe I got to tough this out. I can get through it. And then it tends to get worse and worse. And the biggest piece of advice I give is talk about it. Ask for help. You don't have to suffer and struggle alone. And you don't have to be feeling that way. Reach out for help. It's really important. You know, I am going to take a moment here and disclose that a couple of years ago, I was fairly stressed. I'm running my own business, which is a new thing for me and not something I ever really was equipped for or wanted to do. We have young twin children, you know, only two and a half right now. So, hey, I'm a member of the Twins Club as well. Ah, Ours are are eight, though, so a little excellent, excellent. Twin dads rock. And the stress of raising very, very young kids. And I felt some of those things that you were talking about. And I could feel that my fuse was getting short. And I didn't like it. And. I don't talk about it publicly. I'm not ashamed of it. It's just not something that I really do. But I started going to a therapist about a year ago just to, like you said, have someone to talk to. It's yeah, not, that's awesome. Yeah, it's it's not enough or it's good to have friends that you can open up to. It's good if you can talk to your spouse. But sometimes you need a professional who knows the right questions to ask you. And like you said, there is no shame in it. There should be no shame in it whatsoever. It's not an experience that is going to demasculate you. It is just a great way to open up and vent and for someone to tell you, look, everyone goes through this and here are some small strategies that can help you get through it. And I mean, I still go, I still enjoy going actually at this point and I feel better already. I could already see the difference. So I I am proof to what you said that It's okay, and it should be more encouraged both relationally but also medically by the government. Like Everything should be there in place to encourage us to go talk to someone. So a couple things I'd like to say. Well, a few. One is thank you for sharing. I think you're absolutely right. We shouldn't have shame about it, but man, if you were to look at my blog, like one of my posts talks about just how much shame I had, and I didn't realize it at the time. I would literally walk into the pharmacy 
and I was pacing up and down the aisles to make sure nobody from my neighborhood was there. For when I went to the window of the pharmacist, I didn't want anybody to hear that I was getting an antidepressant. And then I would come home and I would take the paperwork and I would tear it into little tiny pieces as if somebody might actually go through my trash and see that I was on an antidepressant. That's just the place I was in, right? And I think depression feeds those lies. That type of shame, it's insidious and it is difficult to deal with. And like your situation, I can completely relate to. And entrepreneurs, by the way, have a very high rate of depression. Oh, yeah. It's um, a roller starting, coaster. <laughs> yeah. And so my first bout of depression, I was promoted into a principal position. And tough, tough situation. Immediately a deficit. I had to fire people I had never even met and tell them, no, you don't actually have a job, even though you were promised one. We had class lists at first grade that were over 40 students. And It was very stressful, and at home, I had a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and two newborns. Oh, my God. So it was clear, right? Like, it's easy to look on at that situation and say, there's an explanation. This is why I was struggling and going through depression. My second bout, though, I had already asked to step down voluntarily to an assistant principal position. I was getting along great with my boss. Things were great, and... Three years to the day from my first depression, I my body felt different. I said to my best friend and my brother, my body doesn't feel right, and this is not going to be good. And I went into a very deep, dark place, and that's when I had to take time off. And I have so much respect that you were able to recognize it and you take that time off and get yourself into a better spot having taken that time off what was it like coming back i think we all probably the thing that i know i would deal with is that shame and it's it's funny because yeah i don't have a shame about mental health for some reason specifically but like I think as men, we're ashamed to have a cold. We're ashamed, we're ashamed to be sick. We're ashamed if we get hurt, right? Like, we don't want to admit that we are fallible creatures sometimes. And so how do you overcome that? So that's a great question. And I had what I would consider not a very good psychiatric physician's assistant that I was working with. And I went into him at one point and said, So I'm starting to have some general thoughts of suicide and I'm wondering if it's the antidepressants or my depression because it's like the most paradoxical thing in the world, right? Like antidepressants that come with a black box warning saying they could cause suicidal ideation. So he said, yes, it could be the medication. It could be the depression. He upped my meds and my suicidal thoughts became pervasive throughout the day. I would push the thought away the thoughts would come back. I found myself doing just crazy stuff. Like I was in my bedroom in the dark with my laptop on my lap and I did a search for suicide. And the very first site I came to showed different methods on a scale of one to 10, how painful it would be and how quickly you would die. And I slammed that shut and was like, oh my God, like I can't believe I'm even looking at this. And I did some other things similar to that and eventually came up with a plan and uh, couldn't get the thought out of my head. And one night when I woke up dreaming of the plan, I told my wife and my sister, I need an emergency psychiatric 
appointment. I'm really scared at this point. Please come with me to advocate for me. And I was so glad they did because even that psychiatric PA, and this is what I'm getting to when you ask the question, he said, you know, you could take work off, but you know, that could cause you more stress. And my sister, thank God, was like, no, he needs time off. And I'm so thankful she did. There was definitely shame there, right? I shared with my boss who was amazing about supporting me, told him what was going on. He was very supportive, but I didn't want anybody else to know. And I was so full of shame. My first 10 days off were unstructured. I didn't know what I was going to do. I thought I'd have the meds adjusted and that would fix me. I wouldn't go out of the house. I know too many people in the community. If I went to a Target store, I knew I'd bump into at least five familiar faces probably just because I've been in the school district for so long. So I stayed in, I isolated. It was, it made things worse. I would make a small list, like I'm going to clean one bathroom tomorrow, or I'm going to do one load of laundry. And I couldn't, I would, uh, one of my symptoms was not being able to sleep at all. I think for one full week, I slept about 10 hours total, but yet the safety of being behind my bedroom closed door was a safe spot for me. So I'd tell my wife, my therapist said, it's like a brain injury. I need to nap. So I'd go up and I'd lay down on my bed for like three hours straight without being able to sleep a wink. Then I'd come downstairs and I'd sit on the couch. Sometimes I connected my, it was so weird. I would be connected to my wife at her hip and follow her. Like I didn't know what to do with myself. It was such a strange place to be in mentally. I did decide that. And like I said, my sister advocated for me and I was so thankful to take that time off and then I, I had to deal with, now I'm going to go back to work. What am I going to tell everybody? In fact, Minnesota is pretty good mental health supports with some long-term supports. So I could have gone from a partial hospitalization program to a step-down program where I'd be going like three days a week, half days or something like that to ease back into work. But it was the shame that told me, oh, I can't go to work and then leave in the middle of the day. And what do I tell people? And how am I going to even go back to work after this partial hospitalization? What do I tell people that was wrong? What do I say? You know, and in the end, it wasn't bad at all. And people were just like, hey, welcome back. Hope you're doing all right. And that was it. Nobody's going to dig in and be like, why were you gone? What was it? Right. So I put all this shame on me and all this, you know, a little bit of too big of a head almost to be like, well, what are they going to do without me? Like, I need to be there. No, you know what? They'll get by. Or what if somebody subs for me and there's a better administrator and they like him better? Like, oh no, I had some thoughts that were definitely delusional. I mean, I started thinking, what if my boss, who obviously loved me and gave me a great review, I started thinking, I don't know if I have a copy of my review. What if he goes in and changes it and makes it look like I was doing awful? Like that is borderline delusional thinking, seriously. But that's part of what depression does, right? It impacts your focus, your memory, your cognition, everything. And I just, with my wife, decided I couldn't even be out at a social gathering and associate with friends and communicate. I was like non-communicative. And we both just said, wow, what does this look like at work? That's why I took the first 10 days off because we both didn't want me there isolating not being able to communicate with people and have my boss just think I was a slug, <laughs> couldn't do the work. It's so interesting, the 
the del- I don't I shouldn't call them delusions, but they are. But that the things that we invent in our head, the perception that oh, others yeah. have of us, or we create the demons in our head of how we think people are going to respond. And then we react to that, and then we build upon that, and then it gets worse and worse, and right, it just spirals out of control. And at the end of the day, most of the time, people are not spending nearly as much time thinking about us as we give them credit for doing. Yeah, absolutely. And and a little bit of what you just touched on is CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, which talks about the fact that something in life happens, we create a thought around that. And then we act and behave based on the thought we created. And if we're in a depression, I'll give a super basic example. I walk by somebody in the hallway. I say, hey, how you doing? They ignore me and keep walking. If I'm depressed, I'm probably going to say they hate me. I knew it. I'm a bad administrator. Nobody here likes me. Right. Well, They're or holding I could a grudge be, for something I did six years ago. Right. Yeah, <laughs> or I could be in a very healthy place thinking, wow, they might be really busy. Or, ooh, I should check in with them. They didn't seem too happy, you know, or whatever. But it would be a more healthy thought, right? So we create this thought. And the thought I created when I was depressed as an administrator was, these people have been teaching longer than me. I'm an awful administrator. Why am I doing this job? I took those thoughts and I ran with them and I isolated in my office. I didn't want to be in giving feedback to teachers. And I think I I really think I give decent feedback actually and people appreciate it but you know that's the thought I created and then I changed my behavior based on that inaccurate lie of a thought really right bad administrator I'm going to stay in the office and isolate because I'm no good at this and that's a perfect example how there's an action you create a thought to that action and then you change your behavior based on that and we have the ability to change our thoughts so cbt really says stop that negative thought ask yourself what evidence do i have about that i could have said i'm an awful administrator whoa whoa whoa, wait i got a review from my new boss and it's awesome i've got good feedback so i don't have evidence that i'm a terrible administrator so I'm going to stop that thought and really change that thought to a positive thought and then hopefully not go down that rabbit hole of depression and negative thinking and spiral down further and further. I think the problem I run into with so many podcasts or cause pods are the people who need to hear this kind of content don't know it. And if more men who are on the cusp of potential depression could hear your show or hear this conversation now it could prevent them from having more problems but i wish there was a better way to get ahead of people who don't really like most of the folks who are probably going to check this out are somebody who've already been diagnosed right they're out there looking for that content if you're not diagnosed you're not out there looking for this content and i i wish we can get ahead because so many men could avoid a world of trouble if they realize that a lot of those thoughts are made up that they are grandizing or if they just went and spoke to a professional doesn't have to be getting yourself checked in just right go find a a good therapist you don't have to see them every day every week and go every other week just every so often a good check-in to make sure you're healthy it's a good thing and actually when you're in a healthy place is a great time to see a therapist and really do the work to prepare and plan for if you do go into a bad place How are you going to handle that? The other piece I wanted to mention when you mentioned therapy is I love that you're going to therapy. I just connected with another therapist. I'm back in therapy. And I think 
when it comes to therapy, I always ask men, give it a try and give a therapist a shot for at least two or three sessions. And if you're not clicking and you don't enjoy the person, then don't give up on therapy. Find somebody else. It's well worth taking the time. I know it's a pain because you're like, God, I, now I got to share my story again. It is Fill so out those worth forms, it. Yeah, exactly. it's, right? it's like all the headaches. It, and it is so worth the time and effort to shop around to find a therapist you click with that you trust. And that relationship can be so crucial to, to getting healthy and, and maintaining positive mental health. I like what you said, by the way, about when you're healthy is the time to do it. The best time to apply for a job is when you have a job. If you don't have a job and you're applying, you tend to come across with an air of desperation or whatever, and there's less of an appeal sometimes than if you're working comfortable, not stressed about it, you just tend to do better in that situation. So it's it's an interesting way to think about it. I want to pivot a little bit and find out you dealt with depression, two big bouts of it. You came out strong on the other side. You said you started to blog and you were tweeting. Where was the conversion? Like what inside of you clicked and said, I need a podcast. It's pretty funny, I think, really, because like I mentioned, as I was blogging and tweeting, I started getting connected to people in the mental health world. And I had heard a couple podcasts. I wasn't really a big podcast listener, though. And I got invited to a conference. It's an amazing conference. I'm going again this April called Healthy Voices. And it is a conference for online advocates of chronic illnesses. And somebody from that conference reached out to me out of the blue from the work they saw that I was doing and just said, hey, you know what? We are a conference for like I mentioned, online advocates of different chronic illnesses, and we are trying to ramp up our mental health advocates. So you're not a shoe in but we would love it if you would apply. And I applied, I got in. So after I left that conference my first time, I met a ton of online advocates for different chronic illnesses, like I mentioned, HIV, cancers, stomach issues, just everything you can imagine. There were no breakout sessions about podcasting. So it was really weird. But And I met a bunch of people using YouTube and Facebook and Twitter. But for some reason, I can't even put my own finger on it. I just felt like a podcast might be the route to go. And so what I did was I met somebody there who was a huge YouTuber. She's pretty well known on YouTube for her mental health advocacy work. And I asked her about this idea of podcasting. And that's she's the woman who connected me with Paul Gilmartin. So really, it was from this conference, listening to all these advocates. Maybe a couple had said they were podcasting. There weren't any sessions on podcasting. But I left there, had that idea, reached out to Paul Gilmartin. And then my thought was, okay, I'm going to do this. And I started because I attend and I still attend. I've been healthy, mentally healthy without any bouts of depression since 2013. And I still go every other week to a men's support group for depression and anxiety. So my idea was, like you mentioned, lessen the shame. People in leadership positions need to be sharing their own mental health stories without shame. And I've recognized that people in my school, staff, share with me their own stories privately because they know the work I do and people are open to talking about it. And that creates a very healthy environment. So I really believed in sharing stories. 
So I created the podcast. Every single episode is an interview with a man who has dealt with depression and or other mental illnesses. I realized quickly that the guys I was interviewing had so much more than just depression, which was really great and fascinating to me. And I have learned so much about different mental illnesses by having the podcast, but I really believed in sharing stories. So what I did was I started with the support group. I invited men to my house one at a time. Some were from groups at the same organization, but I didn't know them. So my kids would joke with me because there'd be a knock on the door and they were like, another strange man, dad, that you don't know that you're going to go into the basement and interview. I'm like, yep, one more. And then I, I started creating this kind of backlog so I would have them on my computer ready to go before I ever launched it. Then I had about six episodes ready. So I also do some coaching. And one of the things we talk about as a coach is the negative voice in you, which we call the saboteur. And the saboteur in me was like, ooh, if I never launch this, nobody can critique it. I can't fail at it if I don't really publish it. So I had this backlog and I was hesitant to publish it. But then it was in September, World Suicide Awareness Day. And I decided if there is ever a time I'm going to publish this and launch this podcast, today is the day. So I did it on September 10th, two and a half years ago and launched it, then quickly decided there's only so many men in this support group that I can get in touch with. So then I moved quickly to Skype. So I've been interviewing guys all over the world. Um, I just interviewed a, a man from Australia. And I'm a strong, strong believer in the power of sharing our stories. The goals of my show are to educate those people who know little about depression or other mental illnesses, to support those men who are going through a, a tough time, and then also just to chip away at the stigma. Those are really the three goals of my show. I, it, these men who I meet and are sharing their stories are amazing. I have a wide variety of men from military vets to an ER surgeon to an NFL player to your average Joe to just about a transgender male, the mental illnesses I've touched on that I've learned so much more about, bipolar one, bipolar two, rapid cycle bipolar disorder, dissociative identity disorder, BPD, borderline personality disorder, schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, just about every mental illness. And men are on here sharing. It has been such a learning experience for me. And I truly have to believe that I'm changing and saving lives, even if it's one life. But you know, it's sometimes I'll get that tweet that is just amazing and makes me feel like this is why I do it. I mean, for two and a half years, I have 65 episodes published. I publish every other Sunday for two and a half years. This has been eating into my family time, my private time. It's a huge passion of mine. I love doing it. But to get those messages makes it all worth it to me. I mean, there's a cost. I get no income from it, but I love doing it. And the messages I get really make me continue this work. That's just incredible. Such a great story. I, I hear the passion. And honestly, I hear the joy in your voice in talking about it. And I think that's one of the things that folks who are on the fence about whether they should start a podcast or whether they should continue to do it is if you can talk about your topic, if you can 
chat with folks and be passionate about it. And, you know, if you're willing to do all this work and maybe only have just one listener and still do it with a smile on your face, it is worth it. Because if you can impact one person in a positive way, it's all the difference. And truthfully, and I think in your case and for many people who do a podcast for a cause, it's self-therapeutic, right? It helps them. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's incredible. I want to also... First of all, very, very, very importantly, if you are listening to this and you are having thoughts or concerns of suicide very specifically, do not hesitate to you know call the Suicide Prevention Hotline. Read off the number here, but also, of course, it'll be in the show notes, 1-800-74-2433 or 1-800-273-8255. If you aren't you know, maybe that far down the road, but you're just not sure where you are. Like we said, find a good therapist. Usually you can call your insurance company. They'll help you locate someone in network. There's even apps now today that allow you to, I think Talkspace is one of them. Not that we should be giving them a free plug, but you know, you don't even have to go anywhere. If that's a concern, you could just do it from the privacy of your own home and do it sort of on demand in a way that could be comfortable for you. But you very specifically, we were talking about the charity that you want to promote on here, and it's called the Face It Foundation. And I want you to tell us a little bit about Face It. And it sounded like they specifically have done a lot for you. So I want to know how they've been instrumental in your life. So it's faceitfoundation.org. Two men founded it. One is Mark Meyer. He's an incredible person. He is a licensed social worker by trade. He has his own pretty deep, scary story about his own depression, and he shares that on the website as well. He had become suicidal, and he was at the time managing a large dialysis center in a hospital and was a lot of stress under that position and so forth. And he quit, and he decided he really wanted to move towards his passion He took a bike trip across the U.S. to launch it, to create this foundation, Face It Foundation, and it is all services for men with depression and anxiety. They have an incredibly huge number of support groups now here in the Twin Cities. They never charge a man anything at all for their services. The first time you call him, he's likely to say, come on in and meet with me. They have a beautiful space now. He used to have a little crummy space, but (laughs) so he would meet at coffee shops. I met with him like three times. And just to give a sense of how difficult I realize it can be to reach out to somebody, my best friend gave me his name and said, I know this guy. All he does is work with men with depression. It took me three weeks to reach out to him, and each week I texted my friend saying, tell him I'm going to call him, as if the guy needed a heads up that a depressed guy was going to call him. Like, that's all he did. But they never charge a cent. He meets with guys. They offer the support group. They create other activities, such as sometimes it's going to a Minnesota Twins games. Sometimes it's going on a retreat with 15 men. They do monthly breakfasts. They are just an incredible resource, and I love also just while I'm talking about it to plug support groups in general. I am such an advocate of support groups. I think they can do so much. I walked into a support group with a bunch of men I didn't know, but it was instant trust. I like spilled my guts and cried for two hours straight my first night. 
But like I said, I've been with them for a very long time. That too is a bit therapeutic for me. I'm essentially running one of the groups now, co-facilitating. It is like that. It's a kind of a grassroots organization. It's again, they look for fundraising opportunities and so forth. They never charge the men a cent. It's an incredible organization. That's amazing. We are going to put a link to Face It Foundation in the show notes. It'll be the donation link. You'll find it on the player. Specifically, if you get there, make sure they're doing their campaign right now, the Legacy of Hope campaign. So we'll make sure that you believe in this cause and you want to support and help out in a positive way. That's where we want to drive you. Al, the other thing I always like to ask folks like yourself is advice. So the next person who is listening to this, who's thinking about a podcast to support their cause or who is just battling something and they think this is a good way to talk about it, share it, discuss, whatever that might be. Basically, what's your advice to the people who are thinking about doing a podcast? They're not doing this for their business. They don't have a big budget. How do they do this? And what would you tell them You know, is the best piece of advice? I think similarly to how I got into it, I would recommend people listen to some podcasts, listen to some podcasts around topics they're interested in, and feel free to reach out to podcasters and ask them, hey, how did you get started? What type of equipment do I need? There are some podcasts all about podcasting, and they have recommendations about inexpensive mics if you're just getting going, or headphones, what platforms to use, and so forth. You don't have to do that on your own. Reach out. A lot of people have done it and support those. I know um, somebody here who I was with last night is talking about starting a mental health podcast with a friend of theirs. So I'm getting together with those two to share some tips about starting a podcast. Fantastic. And you'll also make sure that they uh, come on CosPods when they're ready. Absolutely. Fantastic. Well, again, we've been chatting with Al Levin. He is the host and the creator of The Depression Files. You can find the show at the Depression Files. Dot com. Like I said, we will have a link to the show right there in the show notes, make it super easy for you. And of course, if you want to do a solid, if you've been encouraged by what Al has been saying, check out the faceitfoundation.org. So it's just faceitfoundation.org. Again, there'll be a link there. And really, really, really most importantly, if you have any, any inkling or thought or concern or just a small doubt that things don't feel right, do not hesitate to get help. Just start somewhere. You will not regret it. Al, thank you so much, and thank you for joining us here on Call Spots. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cause Pods. I want to take a moment and thank the newest team member, producer Caroline Quash, who does an amazing job with scheduling of guests, finding particular guests, making sure that everything gets posted properly and making sure that everything, she just helps to keep the trains moving. I don't know if I can continue to do this project without her. So thank you, Caroline, for everything you do. And again, if you've been inspired by the work of our guests, please check out the show notes in your podcast app or at causepods.org. There you will find links to their work and a special donation link to support the cause. From there, you can also follow and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you enjoy your podcast. Follow us on social media and join the special Facebook group dedicated to you folks who are producing podcasts for a cause. So if you're already producing said podcast or if you're thinking about launching one, join the group, 
we have provided some resources. We're going to look to provide even more. And hopefully we're going to arrange some special nonprofit pricing of various podcast service vendors to help you with your venture and keep you under budget. And lastly, if you are a cause potter, someone who produces a podcast for a cause and want to join me for an interview, please, please check out the form at causepods.org. Once approved, we'll schedule you for a chat and share the amazing work you do with the CausePod audience. Thanks again, and see you next time on CausePods. Pods.